Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio broadcasting across North America each and every week going back to January 2020. One half of your host, Dial Lasoski, broadcasting from the Central European studio. I'm back after some uh, long travails and travel and I'm joined by my colleague David Clement, who's sitting in the burbs of Toronto, Ontario. David, uh, how's it going? Are you uh, you got the snow shovel out yet, or are things looking okay? Uh, not yet. It's getting cold though. Winter is coming. Um, winter is coming. Winter is and, coming. Uh, yeah. It's not going to be fun. Uh, not going to be fun for a lot of people. Energy stuff is uh, really throwing things for a loop. Uh, Dave, there's a couple things for yeah. us to catch up nah, on. There's a big one. Um, I mean, as much as it may one. be cold, and I may be bitter walking the dog. Because it's cold, I'm I'm waking up this morning and I'm not Liz Truss, so it could be worse. <laughs> it could be true. Worse. And uh, as we as we previewed last week, if you listen to our program, you can head back and uh, listen to the the past uh, podcast version that we put out there on Podcasting 2.0, and uh, we were sort of foretelling what exactly was going to be happening in the United Kingdom mm-hmm. and. It came true. Yeah. She uh, lost to the lettuce, as it were. She got got the boot, the shortest uh, shortest tenure for a prime minister in British history, I think. Which, uh... Yeah, and there's... Um, I've noticed, uh, you probably have noticed this as well, everyone has been using their um, online presence to come up with the worst takes of all time to try to explain this to people. Yeah. And... Um, I think it's a very bad testament to how we teach not just economics, but public policy Mm -hmm. and understanding about systems and why in the end she did have to resign, which in the end she didn't really have to. No. Uh, There was a a fracking bill uh, that was up that people had put together as sort of, oh, this is a confidence vote in the government, Uh, but it wasn't really. Yeah. But sad to see. A liberal democracy loses a a leader and they've got to go right back to the shuffle and who knows we might have bojo on the other end of this yeah i mean i wouldn't mind boris coming back because i always thought it was weird that they booted him um and the thing is uh, jagmeet singh tweeted about this and he's like oh see this is just an indication of the damage that the conservatives can do it's like uh no if there's a takeaway or a lesson it's that the British parliamentary democracy is much healthier in terms of keeping leaders accountable um, than ours is. And I say that because essentially she couldn't wrangle her own party um, in regards to what some of her policy goals were. And when you and I have talked about this, I liked a lot of them. Um, So I'm, I'm sad to see her go from a policy perspective, but she couldn't sell it to her own caucus they revolted um and now they're gonna have a new leader um or the old leader and i mean just imagine if our system in canada actually operated that way and the leaders of these parties actually had to face the music with their own caucus rather than um kind of being the ultimate trump card at all times which is the way it works now i mean it would you i i can't see a scenario happening where um where caucus revolts against a sitting prime minister 
Um, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, it would just never happen because so much power is concentrated in the prime minister's office that um, it's just really not possible unless it was something like, I mean, it would almost, it, I would put it on par. And you can let me know if you disagree. I'd put it on par with like an impeachment. Um, like it has to reach a serious level of faux pas um, in order for a prime minister's caucus to revolt against him or her. Um, and nothing yet since 2015 under the liberals has done that, even though you could argue that some of it is warranted. Um, the sponsorship scandal didn't do that for the liberals when they were last in government before Trudeau um, insert some issue under the Harper era. Obviously that never happened. Uh, like there was, there was no caucus revolt for the conservatives. So it just doesn't happen. Um, but I think it's a good thing that she has to be accountable to um, the representatives who um, are in her party, who represent their constituents. I think <laughs> whether or not they do a good it's a job. Strange world out there. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, do you see it as like a healthy thing, or do you think this is like a dysfunctional thing? Well, I think what is unfortunately happening now is that you have the those who are opposed to the conservative party, which basically it's it's very similar to most of the other liberal democracies, uh, mostly rural voters. Mm -hmm from outside the major capitals, mm -hmm. you know, that those are kind of the, the populations that vote in uh, many of these leaders. It's the same in Canada, uh, much the same with usually congressional majorities in the states. But what you have here is sort of a changing of the tie when it comes to the leader. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, why not? Uh, we'd love, it should have happened much more in Canada. I think just a lot of people have been trying to ride the Trudeau wave. Yeah, uh, because you definitely had many circumstances that would have been very easy uh, to try to off uh, Justin Trudeau and everything that uh, his government has done. I mean, you just name the scandals. And I think oh. that's probably what what makes a lot of people very cynical, um, at least in the Canadian circumstances. Yeah, you have all this. But, you know, for the average person who doesn't know how the political system works, they're like, well, it can't be that bad if he's still there. Right. Well, yeah, but the thing is, is that, I mean, it's almost like when Trump was like, well, I could shoot a guy in the middle of Fifth Avenue and <laughs> they would still love me. It, honestly, it, because you'd be in jail. It, it feels, <laughs> it feels like that with Trudeau. It's like, it just doesn't matter. Um, I mean, the, the latest yeah. one that's come out and I, I mean, I haven't dug into the numbers, but like Trudeau's groceries, which are some are reimbursed and some are not, but like the, the, the amount that the taxpayer pays is upwards of like 55 grand a year in groceries. And wow. it's like, well, one, I don't know. It seems weird that one of the perks is that you get free food. Um, that seems awkward to me. Uh, but two, then if you do, what are you eating? Like, I mean, food, I mean, food, food is getting pretty <laughs> expensive these days, but what do you eat? How are you eating? Like they have two kids. What are you doing? Like, are you getting the porterhouse like on the regular? Is you're just dialing up the chef and being like, yep. Like, 
let's fire up the, seven, see Paul Allen's car. <laughs> the 72 Yeah, I think hour. it's just a lot of um, probably the buddies, you know, the crew. They're just uh, coming over. They're, they're, yeah, they're just coming over, getting fed. Um, I assume they're working late hours to justify all of their hard work uh, right there in, uh, in, in Ottawa. That can could you, be it. Can you imagine yeah. if I could just, like, have the boys over and charge it to the taxpayer? You just have like I mean, a, I think that's exactly. I think that's exactly what happens. I mean, I would not want to see the bill for the White House um, chef and like all the food yeah, that they've got there. True. I guess that's a good comparison, um, but but if if it's probably Biden, you know, he's probably he's probably it's probably, just, it's probably a lot of pudding. <laughs> I was just gonna say it's like vanilla ice cream and sprinkles. <laughs> I don't have the clip. I have many clips, as you've noticed already, um, but I don't have the clip of him. He's eating a full-on double scoop ice cream. I know. And the reporter's asking him, it's like, hey, do you worry about the strength of the dollar and, you know, other economies? And he's like, well, I'm not really, really worried about what we're with the, with the dollar because our economy strong as hell. Uh, <laughs> it just do, doesn't take a second to put down that cone. No. It's a waffle cone, too, so I understand because they're delicious. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I... It was, a, it was a fun time, David. Um, I was actually able to uh, swing by the, um, the United States of America. Oh, yeah. You were gallivanting um, last again. week. Gallivanting once more. I mm-hmm. uh, was able to uh, still be here on the mic, though, with all of you. Uh, so I was able to be in, in Washington, D.C. ever so shortly. Yep. That was fun. Uh, we talked last week about impending changes, hopefully, to the Cannabis Act in mm-hmm. Canada. And I'll tell you what, David, I used a lot of that knowledge in uh, trying to bring up some of those points for the uh, potential future uh, legislation of cannabis legalization in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So uh, interesting meeting. Uh, can't get into too many of the details, you know, but this is what we do at Consumer Choice Center. We're always there fighting for consumer choice, uh, not just in North America, but across the world. Yeah. And uh, really interesting to see the priorities. I, It's odd, and I think... You'll probably have noticed the same thing in much of your testimony and your interactions. Next to nobody cares about the actual laws on the business and the dispensaries and all of that on that end. The consumer regulations that people actually see. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just worried about where's the money going? Where's the money? What's the tax revenue and how do I earmark it for my stuff? And it's like, How do I earmark it for my stuff? Or can we have particular diversity uh, categories, which is now a very, it's called uh, social equity entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. It's a very um, updated definition. And um, I didn't know this, um, but someone brought it up while I was in D.C. There are certain government contracts that, you know, once you reach a certain amount, there is an, an amount that's earmarked for mm-hmm. certain diversity uh, establishments or Look, companies. And here's the thing. Is I I understand the inclination to try and go that route. The problem is, and this is what we saw in Ontario, a lot of these rules. So the thought process is um, visible minority communities are disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs. And so in order to try and right that wrong, we want to make sure that they have proper entrance into the legal market so they can make money, et cetera. Okay, well, in the Canadian instance, um, a couple of things that they should have done if they actually cared about any of that. One, get rid of the provision that prohibits someone 
from entering the space with a criminal record related to cannabis. Um, that is a huge problem in regards to having people from the legacy market enter the legal market. Uh, two, in Ontario, we had all these capital requirements. If you applied for a license for a retail store, you had to have like 50 grand in cash and you had to show all of these um all, all of this money that you had essentially backing you which really didn't make any sense because we don't require let's say a restaurant to provide proof that they are flush with cash if they want to open uh, but for exactly. some reason we did that with cannabis retail and then who does that disproportionately impact obviously people of less means people of marginalized communities and so you just retail the scales back against them and it really just is one of those things where the more you can get the, the more you can alleviate the regulatory and financial burden the easier it is to level the playing field which is what they're trying to do the thing is is that they try and get to that end goal with all of these hoops and um all of the silliness which just goes again it's it, it's counterintuitive or counterproductive indeed and it makes it much more difficult for a lot of these businesses to spring up for people to gain capital you know overall and these uh these rules are, are really you know just meant to try to get as much money as possible and if you consider the taxes that are levied at you know the provincial or state level makes it very unappealing for the average consumer because why would I go through the legal market when I know through the black market I can pay mm-hmm. basically half the price. Yep. So that's uh, the continuing issue with uh, the system in Canada and everything that's happening there. And we're seeing that in a lot of U.S. states, particularly in California. The L.A. Times had a very good series of articles about why the California cannabis experiment hasn't been working. Mm-hmm. And um, there's been plenty of money there, plenty of sloshing around. Um, They have had diversity quotas as well. There's been a lot of different problems with uh, caps on licenses as well. And there's still, I I don't remember the name of it, but uh, there's a documentary about the gangs that had infiltrated Humboldt County. Oh, yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I watched that. It was good. It was a good one. Yeah, it was that, that's the kind of stuff that we're probably going to see much more if we don't get uh, an actual good bill going. Um, so we'll be back uh, with more analysis on that and some other topics here on Consumer Choice Radio. You guys stay tuned. Um, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Always good to have us there at all times. We'll be right back. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America, Saga 960 AM and Big Talker Network. David, we're talking a little bit about uh, the Cannabis um, Act in Canada and also some of the efforts to legalize in the U.S. But the U.S. uh, focus right now is on the midterms and uh, brought a clip that uh, you probably saw. I think this is in Minnesota. Wanted to get your take on this. I thought it was particularly funny. It's one of these like not Freudian slips, but just a terrible gaffe that doesn't help anybody. I will never stop standing up for Big Pharma and standing against my constituents. Just a double whammy right there. Uh, <laughs> that one is bad. Welcome to that is bad. That was, um, yeah, I, I don't remember her name exactly, but she's the sitting uh, Democratic congresswoman there in uh, somewhere in Minnesota. <laughs> Had this unfortunate moment. I haven't followed up. I don't know if she uh, corrected the record or... Yeah. <laughs> had a big thing um 
So now we've got uh, President Joe Biden who's going around the country. Um, and I've, I've got mm-hmm. some great, uh, great clips. Um, this is one. How about this one? I will send you 10,000 uh, Bitcoin Satoshis, the equivalent of about three bucks. If you can tell me what Ooh. he's saying here. You ready for this challenge? Let's hear it. No, by 16 there, I've already gone in for yet, and a lot more last. Another 20 or so. so I'm going to be going in. What? What are you talking about? Uh, and then I have one more for you. This one you'll get, but you have to try to you have to try to understand exactly what 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 he's getting at. The right that I pushed hard and it finally got changed. The married couples in the privacy of their bedroom. Excuse me. The mar- I'm thinking about the Dobbs the Dobbs decision. Imagine. Well, I'll get to that. <laughs> it's not looking good for uh, for oh, our dear no. President Joe Biden. It's bad because like I hear that and I just hear my grandfather. And that's not a compliment in regards to the state of his life. I'm referring to my grandfather that he was in when he sounded like that. Um, Just the bumbling and like the losing track and trying to stay on point. Um, Yeah, I think there's probably got to be an age limit here on the president. And there's actually one guy who did make this point. Um, his name is Joe Cunningham. So he was formerly mm-hmm. Democratic uh, representative in South Carolina's first district. Yeah, he was the one. He won Mark Sanford's seat um, against Addington, who Trump had primary Mark Sanford, and then he lost to Nancy Mace. Who's our girl, yeah. And um, he is actually, I believe, now running for governor in South Carolina. Ooh. And um, he is marketing himself as a bit more of a moderate this time around. And uh, he came out very openly a couple weeks ago and said, look, there should probably definitely be age caps at the presidential level and definitely in the Senate. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, No, it's true. Which is uh, not a bad, I mean, look, independent thought within the caucus of the parties is very good. And I'll give, um, give an aside. I met with some uh, family members recently as I was traveling. I was in um, Chicago. And uh, there's this term that came up. I was wondering what you thought of this. They were, they were talking to me about rhinos. Republicans in Republicans. name only. Yeah. I haven't heard this in a while. Yeah, so- I don't know how often you're seeing this. I had totally forgotten about this. I don't know what it means. I assume in today's age, it just means um, people who are the Republican, Republican Party who are not necessarily on Team Trump. Is, is that kind of correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't know, because it used to mean something different, right? What it used to be, what it used to mean to be a Republican made a lot of sense. Um, well, even if you disagreed, it was like coherent. Mega Trump is kind of like this word salad of national conservatism and so now you have the mega people using the word rhino to talk about someone like Mitt Romney and it's like dude that guy has always he's been like this standard bearer of republicanism for a long time for better or for worse Um, and so it's like well no I mean, he's not a Republican in name only. He's just, he doesn't wear the Make America Great Again hat. 
Yeah, and I, I was thinking about this a bit more because um, I will be sending in my absentee ballot, um, sending it in over mm-hmm. email just so I can trigger Ooh, a bunch of people. That's cool. And uh, my <sighs> uh, the district w- that I've always voted in normally is North Carolina 8, and it has been redistricted, and now my uh, suburb of Charlotte, where I vote from, where I grew up, uh, that is now uh, number 12. Uh, we now have 14 mm-hmm. districts because we've had some additional population. And uh, it includes yep. the suburbs of Charlotte and then the northern part of Charlotte. And uh, I believe Alma Adams is the current uh, Democratic um, incumbent. Uh, she's sort of an elder black woman who's been there for many years. And her challenger, GOP challenger, is a youngish fella. Um, those of you who are listening in North Carolina have probably seen him a bit. Uh, used to be the executive assistant to the president of Liberty University. Oh no! And um, he has—he oh, no. has staked much of his campaign, in which there's plenty of fodder for a stand-in Republican to do. Right? Inflation, jobs, oh, taxes. Yeah. He's gone all in on the uh, the gender and uh, trans ideology mm-hmm. card, which we can agree or disagree. But if it's the pl- the only plank that you're running on in 2022. Uh, You've uh, you've you've made a little bit of, of a mistake there, and I think it's uh, well, and, there's much more important stuff to talk well, about. I mean, so I don't know the details, but if he was the executive assistant to Jerry Falwell Jr., then well, he probably I think um, full well. I don't. It was to the president, so I don't know if Falwell was the president or like chancellor oh, okay. or owner. Okay, okay. <laughs> was he involved he in this? By the way. I in, saw a, in the weird thruple or whatever the heck was going on. You know, on there. there's an entire documentary now on Hulu, I think. That is <laughs> I with it. the pool boy. Yeah, I watched it. It's with the pool boy <laughs> who apparently was involved in these shenanigans. You guys can uh, Google this if you want to see what was happening there um, at Liberty University. And that would be the road to hell for America. Uh, there's some, some interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, pool boy, you know, he's <laughs> brought it in this situation. Oh, man, it's, uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, but. You know, it's I, this is the kind of issue, and I've I've been trying to read a lot more from the I don't know if it's the Rhino Press or more Republican outlets, and there's a couple Republican podcasts that people have recommended me, and uh, there's this overall view that you just got to vote R no matter what to get power back, which mm. this is not our instinct. Right. No. You know, we do care more about principles. We care about ideas. We care about people who are going to push forward good issues for consumer choice. Um, luckily, I've yep. never been in the game. Uh, but one thing that was interesting, I don't know if you saw the... Sorry, it's America heavy. But uh, they've had these gubernatorial <laughs> debates. And the state of Georgia was really interesting. They had two debates. One is a gubernatorial, and the other one was for the Senate. And in both of them, yep. you had the libertarian candidate in the main debate. Yes, which was a very refreshing addition. Um, as it should be, because they have ballot access and they generate an, enough support to warrant it. Um, so, yeah, that's a really good sign. Uh, although the Libertarian Party in the United States as of right now is a absolute dumpster fire. Um, but the best, uh, the best disinfectant for, for bad ideas is sunlight. And so there's no 
no harm in having them on the debate stage um, to make some of those arguments, whether they're good or bad. I think this is a good difference um, yeah, between a, the American and the Canadian system is that you have like the, the national party apparatus, but yeah. it's not necessarily the same as with, uh, let's say, the Conservative Party of Canada, which I would say is a bit more integrated with the candidates and the MPs and stuff. Perhaps I'm wrong. Yes. Yep. Yeah. There's they're very integrated. Um, and they're less, I mean, uh, you, so you just, you may have conservative branded parties at the provincial level, but they are in, they are completely separate entities. Like they're not affiliates like Doug Ford's progressive conservatives are actually completely unrelated legally, logistically membership, all of that, then. Uh, the Conservative Party of Canada. Now, obviously, there's overlap because if you're going to have a membership in one, you are most likely going to have membership in the other. Um, but they're completely separate, where in the U.S. you have like an affiliate system, at least with the LP, and it all kind of trickles down, and it's it's it can lead to some problems. But. Yeah, one thing I loved uh, hearing talked about in some of the, uh, the de local debates is they were talking about central bank digital currencies. <laughs> just like, yeah. all right, these are the these are the libertarian reps that are speaking my language. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think we'd be, you know, talking about that in in terms of this uh, this midterm cycle, but uh, it seems to have uh, creeped no. in there. Eh? I wonder if the World Economic Forum came up in any of those debates. Um, you know, it actually did. Uh, I believe this is particular oh, to the gubernatorial race in Georgia. Um, so this was interesting because you have Herschel Walker. Um, former football all-star. Oh. I mean, you know, probably know that better than me. So, real quick, what an ab we just an absolute dumpster fire in North American politics right now. So, whatever you think of Trudeau being propped up by Singh, I mean, that is like the least of all the crazy that's going on. Then you got Danielle Smith. She's had to make like four public apologies over gaffes that she's made. One about discrimination one about ukraine and the links she was saying sharing then you have in pennsylvania you have a serial grifter in dr oz against a guy who had a stroke who can't speak um in fetterman and it's like what this is the best we got they're like, not sending their best <laughs> They are not sending their best. Yeah. And and it's terrible because like not and this isn't to be is a weird word to use, ableist, but I mean there are legitimate concerns. The man had a stroke. He's unable to communicate in an ordinary conversation, as we saw when he was interviewed by the media. They had to, for a face to face conversation, they had to use closed captioning. His his answers to questions are often Complete. I mean, he makes Joe Biden sound like Barack Obama. Uh, what are you talking about? Yeah, and so it's like, what is going on here? Where these are the options of of who to vote for? I mean, I feel terrible for the people of Pennsylvania. Like, what do you? I'd rather pour rock salt into my eyelids and vote for one of those two. Yeah, it's getting bad and. Uh, th this is why I, I brought up the third party and the libertarians being there because, you know, there are other options and everyone sees it when they get their ballot. Um, I 
tend to dislike the media horse race coverage of this stuff. Um, it was very particular in Georgia because there they're just like in this, the, uh, the, the candidates go head to head. There's like a picture of three people. It's like, uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> you mean head to head to head? Yeah. But I guess not. Right now. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a, good, a lot of that good stuff. Uh, but being in D.C. this week, David, it was an um, interesting time to be there. There's obviously a lot of people getting really busy for the midterms, uh, a lot of different stuff that's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, to being able to talk about policy, though, I think is, is something that we will hold steadfast to. And um, I wanted to leave you before we go to break. And I want to talk about what's happening in British Columbia, particularly in Vancouver. If you oh, have a little yeah. bit of time there for our, for our next uh, segment. Um, but I did yeah. want to play this. This is a, a popular show called Veep, which I presume you've watched. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to play this clip. This is exclusively from Veep. It has nothing to do with real life. My fellow Americans, words have many meanings. And sometimes instead oh, of boy. conveying our meaning, they can suggest other meanings. When we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. Well, we are the United States of America because we are united. And we are states. Um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Whatever. <laughs> There's, I have so much more on that that I could play, but I'm not going to. Brutal. Again, what's with like the word salad all the, all the time? Ugh. It's so depressing. It is. It is. Hey, but we've, we'll bring some uh, some good uh, policy analysis here, and uh, we're going to get some some updates on what's happening over there in uh, British Columbia, David, for our next segment. Yes. I'm excited for that, so you guys stay tuned. This is Consumer Choice Radio broadcasting across North America. And we are back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, big news uh, this week. Some leaked documents out of the province of Ontario. Looks like our man, Douglas Robert Ford Jr. is going to peel back exclusionary zoning. Um, The Star reported that it looks like they're going to essentially... Uh, legalized by right, multi-dwelling units, so like triplexes and and whatnot, uh, on land that is zoned exclusively for single-family homes, um, which bypasses a lot of the local nonsense um, that you have in regards to zoning permits and all that. Um, This is big news. This is very big news. Um, One, because... The Liberals and the NDP in the last election proposed exactly this. Um, The Conservatives didn't, and they've taken it from those two playbooks, and it looks like they're going to implement it. And this is just a big win for a housing market that, um, despite the fact that prices have gone down a little bit uh, because of rising rates, they're more unaffordable now than they were two years ago at the skyrocketing prices because mortgage rates are higher. Um, And that's all all boils down to a lack of supply. Ontario is the worst in Canada and Canada is the worst in the G7 for housing units per capita. Um, so our boy, Douglas, he's, he's getting it done as he likes to say. And I, I do like the Toronto stars framing of it. 
Doug Ford breaking. Doug Ford will override municipal zoning to allow more housing across Ontario. Confidential document reveals. So do you think this leak, is this a strategic leak, you think? I I didn't read exactly how this Mm. info came out. Well, maybe, maybe, I don't know. There's a couple of ways to look at it. So the municipal election is on Monday um, across the province. So this is, which NIMBY are you going to vote for, essentially? Oh, wait, they, um, they found a, the star obtained a confidential cabinet document, PowerPoint draft. <laughs> so it's a PowerPoint deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a slide deck. Um I mean, it's interesting in the context of Monday's municipal election because that literally is like, which NIMBY do you vote for? I mean, like where I live in Oakville, you have the existing mayor, there's a developer who spent 25 grand registering as an, a third-party advertiser to put signs out in public that have him, uh, him as a mugshot <laughs> saying that he's betrayed the community because he denied housing projects. And then you have her, his competitor, who may win, who wants a ban on skyscrapers and wants to cap the population growth. Or <laughs> so it's just like, oh, shoot me in the face, please. Um, so this is like extremely needed. I mean, this is it. It it leaves obviously some uh, zoning, it's like completely unzoning. But if you were to own a plot of land that has a house on it, you could tear it down and build let's say a fourplex, uh, and that significantly increases the housing stock. It puts downward pressure on rents, which are out of control right now. Um, so yeah, this is good. This is, this is real good. So I uh, recently you know, was just, uh, just across the line in uh, Chicago here for a little bit, and uh, I was in the city of yeah. Naperville, and uh, noticed okay. that in Naperville, downtown especially, they have a lot of the upzoning. So a lot of the businesses mm-hmm. on the bottom, you know, it's kind of like the, the mullets of the downtown. They got the, the party on the bottom, the businesses, and then the residential apartments on top. Uh, great uh, mix. That's good. You know, I love to see that a lot more. So in, um, particularly in, in the Charlotte area, there's a, a few places that have it, not everywhere. Um, still very restrictive zoning in many areas. But to, to see that this would happen... Uh, what what are the worst municipalities? Obviously, Toronto's on top. Um, is is your municipality yeah, pretty I mean, bad, Toronto or some of the other seven, ones? Toronto is seventy percent exclusively zoned, so that mean, that means that seventy percent of the city cannot become more dense by law. Um, that's a huge problem. Um, Aurora is really bad. Their mayor is just an absolute troll on social media. I'm sure he's just having an app of just a full blown meltdown. What um, is it about I mean, this locally, as an aside? Live, yeah. What is it about these politicos, politicians who have public positions that they get salaries for doing like us and just wasting inordinate amount of times on Twitter? Yeah. I mean, it's like, shouldn't you have something to do um, other than block development and whine about it on Twitter? Uh, I don't know. Um, they, what happens is that they just become beholden to a niche group of property owners who are more passionate and therefore more likely to vote. But the objections to some of this stuff are just mind-bogglingly stupid. So, like, 
about 400 meters from my house, they're proposing a development, which would be like three, 400 units, much needed. And my local regional and city councilor oppose it because the builder doesn't want to put in ground floor retail. They just want it to be all housing. And yeah, yeah, you've seen where I live. You can literally walk to all four major banks, three grocery stores, four doctor's offices, um, every type of food you could imagine, Indian, Thai, Italian, um, virtually anything. And it's on the bus line, which goes right down to the GO station um, if you're commuting to Toronto. So it's like literally the perfect place for density. And they're just whining about it because they want, they've decided that the area, which is populated with every business you could humanly imagine, needs more ground floor retail. And it's like, come on, guys, this is, and they'll, they're trying to block it. They're trying to block it, all 300 units, because it doesn't have ground floor retail. And it's like, well, we can see right through that. Well, you can, I mean, that might all be of these own. businesses, yeah, if they do build that, you know, people will be able to walk around to go to all the businesses and they can see inflation up front. <laughs> those high prices. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So one thing I, I did want to uh. mention um, that our uh, friend of the show, food professor, Sylvain Charlebois, he's uh, um, really doing a great job chronicling some of the, the grocery stores which have been in the, mm-hmm. the spotlight. And we've seen the leader of the left-wing NDP say that he, uh, he, he won. He beat these greedy grocery stores, specifically Loblaws, which I believe, and David, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they've implemented a price freeze on their uh, their own branded items. Yep. So this they is have, seen yeah. as a uh, some kind of a win uh, from the the left wing NDP. Is that true? Um. Yeah, it's complicated. One, it's good PR for Loblaws, um, but two. A price freeze, depending on the direction of food inflation, could mean higher profits for Loblaws, right? If the market adjusts, always, yeah. (laughs) If the market adjusts um, and prices come down below the threshold that they've made for where prices are now, well, then they've said that they've frozen prices to save money for consumers. But in reality, those prices are higher than what they really would have been without this freeze. And so the jury is still out on that one. It was certainly a great attempt at good PR, right? To be like, oh, well, we really care. We're going to freeze prices. Um, But we'll see. I mean, it's still too early. Um, We should have Sylvain on the show, though, to talk about greedflation. Because he's been rather critical of the idea that food inflation is just entirely caused by corporate profits, uh, which see is a talking point of, of Jagmeet Singh. Um, Let's see Paul Allen's card. But yeah, it's, it's a bad, it's a talking yeah, point I, that carries on uh, Bernie Sanders doing much the same yeah. down in the States. We have Elizabeth Warren. Um, they all want to go after those, those greedy grocery stores who, by the way, have terrible profit margins. Food is expensive. You don't go into the selling food business if you want to be a billionaire. You need to buy like 87 million grocery stores in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, I mean, I, I think what it is is you have folks on the left who don't want to admit that overspending and overborrowing and inflating the money supply, like their their playbook, causes inflation, and so they got to find another boogeyman to basically blame it on. Um, and so they say, oh, well, corporate profits, and that's why they're just greedy and they're jacking up prices. But, uh, yeah, we should have uh, the good doctor on uh, on the program to to wade into that. Where I mean, I'm, I know one area where that's certainly true, supply management. They just keep taking and taking, but that is a different story for a different day. I love that. And uh, we will recommend his podcast, uh, which I believe is just called Food Professor. So you can find that in your, your podcast app. I can search for that. He's got a very good insight. Um, I don't think he does it every week, but he does it every every two weeks or so. But overall, very good mm-hmm. program. Um, some of the other news yep. that are happening, uh, things that will impact uh, probably you. Um, let's see, man. I, I got a couple things on my desk. Uh, we've got Elon going through with buying Twitter. We've got lawsuits against Google. We've got uh, TikTok. Actually, I want to do TikTok real quick. So there's a, I think it was Axios. They were able to get their hands on another one of these slide decks. I'll tell you, these PowerPoints are loose, folks. Put a lock <laughs> on that. Uh, so apparently they have it to where the, the policy team is stating, hey, uh, there's been a request from uh, Beijing um, that we map all of the location data for the 80 million Americans who use TikTok for future targeting and uh, other concerns. That doesn't Uh-oh. sound problematic at all, uh, coming from nope. the Chinese Communist Party and uh, Beijing and TikTok. And... <laughs> no, not good. Not oh, good. Man. And, yeah. I mean, that's a thing. And at every turn, when the company gets the opportunity to really say no, like there's no data sharing. They never give a strong answer. And so you know that like when if push came to shove, there would be data sharing. I mean, just think of think of a scenario where which I think is not a matter of if but when they invade Taiwan. There's then another global conflict. Obviously, the US lines up on the side of Taiwan, provides them assistance in trying to bend off an invasion and the Chinese just, I don't know. Yeah. Could you weaponize that data? I don't know. It really depends, but like, it's a pretty uncomfortable scenario for something uh, that I said, it was actually, it was actually Forbes. So I apologize for that. Um, But uh, the, the article in the verge, TikTok fires back at Forbes denies report of a plan to track specific U S citizens using its app. Okay. Buds. Yeah, uh, but you're right about Taiwan, and we saw Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken um, come out mm-hmm. very forcefully in the last couple of days and say, "Hey, we really got to take this Taiwan situation seriously." It seems like they're ramping up, so he's got some kind of information, which is pretty worrying because people are very um, distracted by a lot of different things that are happening in the world and a lot of eyes on Ukraine for obvious reasons. But if we have movement in Taiwan, this is definitely not good. No. No. Um, I mean, it's the same thing with semiconductors, right? There's a whole conversation about semiconductors and U.S. production. And I think it's a, they're having a smart conversation about semiconductors because 
you have to be wary of where you're relying on those from in the context of conflict in Taiwan. Um, if all of those disappear, I mean, we saw what a, a chip shortage caused by war would make the chip shortage caused by COVID look like a blip or a speed bump. Um, it would be devastating to everything from vehicles to consumer electronics. So, and that would be uh, the road to hell for America. You, yeah, it would. As our good friend, uh, is it Jeremy Diamond? Jamie Diamond. Jamie yeah. Diamond. Great Come on, name. you should know. He's the guy who closed Kanye's accounts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Kanye. Oh, my God. Uh, too much to talk about Kanye. We're going to have to save that for another week. But what a dumpster fire. Um, just everything. Indeed. That's just turning it into. Great show, Yael. We'll, uh, we'll touch base again next week. All right. Until then. <laughs>